You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. didn't uh we didn't tease this out we didn't promo it and part of it was because uh we had this guy coming on last year we had him lined up and then um it didn't work out so i didn't want to jump the gun he seems like a harder guy to kind of you know well the pandemic happened before we were we were had him scheduled to come on and then all this shit happened so <clears throat> yeah but christopher steeg is our guest today um any stats you want to go through Stats like I mean underrated like, NHLer. Well, and and talk about a guy that his career, um, he did all. I mean, we you'll hear him in his in the interview, um, discussing about at times when he's going through the whirlwind. Those first four years of his NHL career, he's like got Stanley Cups. He's traded all over the place, and like is he's standing, you know. He, at times, he can't believe what's going on with his life. Well, right, like he's a fifth round draft pick gets traded from the team he was drafted by plays like as an overage overager in the WHL plays like three years in the AHL. Like wasn't really a highly touted guy. He's from Lethbridge. I mean, like he, he, it's not like people are expecting him to come into the NHL and place ahead of a guy like Steven Stamkos in Calder trophy voting. Yep. Like he was third, he was third in Calder voting that year. It might've been second, third, I think when he broke into the league, scored 20 goals, was an incredibly impactful player on one of the most historic, like how stacked is that team, that black, those Blackhawks teams, like the first, that, that the first year they won the cup, that's probably the best modern day NHL team ever assembled. And man, they were so fun to watch too. Like their third line is like what Versteeg Bufflin and Brower or Versteeg and Bufflin and lad, like, holy, that's your third line. Well, they had Kane, Taze, and Sharp for were, were they lying for the longest time? I know they're when they connect on the power play, it was so yeah. deadly with Hosa, Keith and Seabrook. Hosa, Seabrook prime. Yeah, I didn't even think of the D. Keith, yeah. and Seabrook. Don't forget about the Nor. Didn't uh, Keith win the Norris? Well, I mean, both those guys were incredible during that period of time. So, I mean, you go like you go from playing junior and playing in the AHL and toiling win at AHL being like an impact player, not, not even an impact player, one of the star players on one of the most stacked teams in history yeah. and winning a Stanley cup in like four years. Well, and he's, he's mentioned it. We brought it up today. He talked about it on spit and chicklets where he's, he's working at sport check almost at a place where he's like, well, what am I going to do with my life? Didn't, didn't know. Like some of these, you know, these, these all-stars, they know they're going to NHL. Um, their path is, is clear to them. For Stieg, not so much. Like, didn't know if he was coming or going. Next thing you know, he's in the Calder Trophy winning race, winning yeah. the Stanley Cup, and it's just like a whirlwind. 
So pretty great career. And I mean, from a Flames perspective, like I remember being really stoked when the Flames signed him. Because he's I, like honestly, like definitely my low-key favorite flame that we've had in the last five years. Totally. He's like I, I was same same boat. I was stoked when we got him. I always loved watching him. He's he he was a fun player to watch, especially yeah. on the power play. He talks about the power play. Yeah, like I remember he's like one of those guys is like, holy shit, we got him. Because he had, he had bounced around a bit. He had been back to Chicago, won another Stanley Cup. But it was just it was because it was just a weird thing. Like even though he's from Lethbridge and from Alberta and, and a, a very humble like guy from Alberta still, he was like one of those names that was like, oh, sweet. We got Versteeg. Let's go. Right. Like, I mean, I yeah. think Brower signed that same year, maybe a year before. And I was way more excited about the Chris Versteeg acquisition than the Troy Brower acquisition. Like. Versteeg was so good for the Flames that first year. Um, he mentions it, uh, asking Glenn Goldson to, to put him on the power play. The power play was fucking dynamite that year after he after they got him to rover it. Like I think the yep. unit was I, I it was him, Brody, G or him, Brody, Monty, Johnny, and Brower. And after he after they put him on the right flank, they were they were fucking dynamite that year. They were oh, it was so much fun to watch. And and again, like I mentioned in the in the interview, but from going from like the power play just sucking for it seems like forever to finally actually being fun to watch and actually scoring goals, man. Yeah, and he was great Epic. that year, not only in terms of his on ice stuff, but his personality and stuff. Yeah. He brought a great guy. he brought a ton to the table <laughs> that year. Sorry, I've been You're drinking gonna be a lot of coffee. <laughs> All right, so without further ado, um, here's the interview with Chris Versteeg. Enjoy. Versteeg shoots, scores! What a shot by Chris Versteeg. Chris Versteeg on the power play. Versteeg with the shot, scores! Scores! What a move by Versteeg. Chris Versteeg against his old team. Versteeg scores! And the Flames finish it off in Chicago. How's it going? Good. How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. I, uh, hey, man. Not good. To, uh, blame my wife because she didn't get the upgraded in. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear in the background. All right. So, um, I mean, we'll st- we'll kind of start like again. We'll we want to get into some flame stuff, seeing as you know we loved you here in Calgary and you're you're an Alberta boy. But seeing as you had such a storied career, I kind of just want to start off with like you're from Lethbridge. You've got a great story from coming from Lethbridge. Uh, what was it like growing up in Lethbridge? What do you attribute to Lethbridge for turning into the player and having the career that you had? Well, I, I grew up in uh, North Lethbridge, so anyone who knows Lethbridge well, it's the uh, it's the rougher part of town to say yeah. the least. So, um, a lot of my friends growing up, you know, uh, we all grew up kind of in and around the same area, played on the streets every day. I mean, our, our street hockey games were legitimate war. Um, I'm talking full, full contact on the grass, slashing, fighting. I, I mean, I think the street awesome. hockey games growing up, made me really into the player I am. I was never the toughest player or anything by those means, but for my size growing up in the era I did, you had to play bigger than you were. And uh, a lot of where I grew up and how that went about, went into the type of player I became and, and why I think 
throughout the era I played. Again, there's a lot smaller players now, but especially at the start, why I could play with those bigger guys that were stronger that would, you know, really try to intimidate you. And again, yep. intimidation isn't a thing in today's game. Um, speed and scale is the intimidating factor in today's game. But physical play used to be in every single game. You There would be some games where you'd be scared. So where I grew up got me ready for every single thing I went through uh, in the juniors and then into pro. Yeah, I remember I heard you say once you were like, I learned hockey on the streets. Literally, yeah. It's It's kind of funny now because... I think I'm a bit of an anomaly in the sense that I never got, I never played on one spring hockey team. I played hockey from September 1st or sorry, mid August when the Sutter, you know, there'd be a camp in the summer or August. I think it'd be mid August. Yeah. One or two camps. And then I'd be done at the end of March. So I never played April, May, June, July, and then even mid August. So I, I only played, you know, seven months out of the year, really. I played soccer and then I played street hockey every single day. So I never had a skills coach. I never had a skating lesson my entire life. So it was, it was a lot of my dad telling me kind of what he thought I could do and what I should do to get better uh, and listening to him and taking that in. And then also just watching players and then literally going onto the street and playing road hockey and trying to see what I learned on TV and do it and do it on the street. So my skills coach was my brothers and my dad, and that was from all just playing street hockey and really, um, I, I think, really trying to never be denied was the, was the last thing. So that that put a chip on my shoulder, seeing all these other kids who could get extra money to go play in spring hockey, summer hockey, get skills coaches where I couldn't. I just had to find ways without doing that to get better. And I found a way, I think my hips paid for it because I didn't have the prettiest skating stride. So that's why I think I've had two hip surgeries and hip issues is because it was all from um, more ability than um, well, technique. Whereas I think if I would have been taught maybe proper technique as a kid, maybe it could have saved a couple hip surgeries. Yeah. Who, what are your what are your thoughts on um, just the way that the style of the, like you just mentioned, there's not really intimidation in the game anymore. Um, more more about skill and whatnot what do you like from a philosophical perspective on the game of game of hockey itself how do you feel about that do you think it'll ever go back like what's what are your thoughts i i personally think the game's caught in a bit of limbo in the sense that they want to be all about skill and speed but they still let certain dirty things go which is kind of strange to me which which i don't like i still love hits i love hard hits i love battles but I think if you're going to go towards the speed and skill, then you have to do it for speed and skill. You can't let still little things go. Like you can't let teams play that hard uh, every single night and do that much interference against Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or Johnny Gaudreau. You need to let their skill shine through. So you want to promote skill, but you won't let those guys get any extra calls against them. And then if, if you complain about it, you're like, wow, they're the star players. That's how it should be. Well, basketball and i and i'm not saying we should be basketball by any yep. means um by any means but they protect their star players and their play, star pairs get paid because of the way they they first are allowed to play the refs are allowed to ref them a little bit differently which they still have to fight through it but they're they they're ref like star players which the nhl doesn't doesn't necessarily do that which i think they should do they should start to really protect their star players and then if they're going to protect their star players, then they have to promote their star players because that's how they're going to uh, get extra revenue. And right now um, you can see that the NBA is still going because 
they found ways to garner extra revenue throughout those years where the NHL didn't. We relied on ticket sales. And that's because I think we need to really prop up our star players, make them bigger, and the refs need to protect them. And if you're going to promote skill, then let the skill flourish, right? Don't promote, we're kind of doing skill, but it's still hard, which you still want the game to be hard, but you need to protect those guys, I think, in order to sell more tickets and, and then create more brands around the players. Yeah, I I mean I remember that game where the wild slash Goudreau's hand like thirty two times and broke his broke his finger. That should remember, never be. It makes no sense. That had yeah. nothing to do with the game. It had nothing to do. And again, I played in a time where that was fine. You could slash guys' fingers and hands, and that, yeah. and that's fine. <clears throat> and I'm not complaining about that. But if now you want to promote the skill, really go out and promote the skill. Let the skill shine through because it, if you're caught in limbo. And you can't really let the skill shine through. I still think you're holding some fan base back. And I think the true fans will always come with hockey. So really make it about the skill then and the speed of the players, because I still think the players aren't fully, you're not actually seeing fully what the players can do all the time. Totally. 100%. Yeah. It's a good perspective. Um, you, were you a flame sign flames fan growing up in Lethbridge? No, I was the Oilers fan. Oilers. So, uh, okay. Yeah, right. My dad, uh, um, my dad is the biggest Wayne Gretzky fan and obviously, you know, eighties Oilers. Um, yeah. a lot of Albertans kind of drifted that way who weren't yeah. from Calgary. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and I mean, Calgary had great teams too, but my dad just being the biggest Wayne Gretzky fan made me watch all Oilers games growing up. And then, um, probably around 11 or 12, I started to make decisions for myself and, uh, <laughs> uh I like Detroit though. Like they were my team growing up. Uh, I wouldn't claim I was the most hardcore Oilers fan after that point, but up until about 10, I would have been. Uh, And then I was just all about Steve Iserman and and Joe Sackett. Yeah. And, and the other thing was, is I, I followed one player probably closer because I thought I played a little bit like him. I was never as good as him, but it was Peter Forsberg. So I loved watching them play, um, growing up to again I wasn't ever close to what he was but I just thought I played similar like really similar to him and so I really tried to watch how he played uh, so I followed him but yeah Detroit was they were my team that's cool. awesome that's so interesting the Forsberg comparison because I mean I've been watching a lot of your highlights specifically when you were in Calgary and I kind of forgot how great of a playmaker you were like holy shit you had that one pass to Brower I was watching you go between your legs and Brower just taps it in like you're an underrated playmaker. I think the playmaking was actually my strongest part of my game. Um, again, when I was coming into the league, I, I would play with Kane and Taze, but when you're playing on a team with arguably the best, you know, you're playing with Kane and then you're playing with Hosa and these are all in like my prime years too. Right. Yeah. Um, where do, where do I kind of fit in? I'm not going to be the playmaker, right? I'm going to have to play a little grittier and play other things that would make me uncomfortable uh, and so that's what I did. Cause it was the only way I'd get in the lineup. I couldn't play like Kane and I couldn't play like, you know, sharp and host. I had to find other ways. Yeah. So I finally went to Florida where they gave me the ball. And I mean, at, up until uh, I tore my hip, I was top 10 in scoring and a lot of it came off my playmaking. Um, and it, it had always been number one for me was my vision and playmaking. I, I think my tenacity to go get pucks back, uh, was probably my strongest suit but after that would be playmaking and then scoring cool yeah I you just, really helped i remember you really helped out the the power play there 
you know, it's always been a sore spot for the Flames. Yeah, that was that was interesting because I remember they were, I mean, they obviously you got it. They were trying the young guys at the start of the year. Uh, and then so I wasn't really I wasn't playing power play. I was just playing on the third line here and there with Benny and Brow. Uh, and then I got hurt. Uh, it was on my it was in my groin. I think I was out for about a month. And then I came back and our power play was at six percent. I remember. And it was last place. <laughs> oh, boy. And I went into the room and I told Glenn Gullickson, I'm like, give me a chance on the power play, please give me a chance on the top power play. And I'm like, I won't let you down. I told him and he's like, okay, I'll give you a chance. And I'm like, please. So uh, I came back from that injury and we played Anaheim that night. Uh, and we had two goals. I remember um, Monaghan scored in the slot. I threw a shitty pass and it got tipped and he scored, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and then had another assist. So I remember my first game after asking Gully for the power play, first line power play, uh, we scored two goals. And then that was where it just ignited. I mean, guys were scoring at a, I think we we're close to a 25, 26% pace the rest of the season. And we finished, uh, I believe, 10th in the league or 11th. You guys could quote me if I'm wrong. Yeah, you definitely were top 15. Yeah. And and we were at 30th place in mid-November, right? And and then after that, the next year, we kind of carried it into next year too. Uh, I was my leg was mangled though. Yeah. And yeah. uh, but our power play was still rolling up for a while there. It was pretty good. And it, it was just I was happy that Gully gave me the opportunity after asking him. Yeah, yeah you had like you had like seven, I think it was seven of your 15 goals that you were on the power play. It's just like you were lighting it up. So when you when you're working that like you were working that point there on the the right point for most of the time, what's your attack look like? What what are you doing on the power play? Like what do you bring to that power play that made it so effective? I never actually played that side really before. Yeah. On the power play. I played that side on the on the low walk when uh, like on the goal line when I played with Martin Havlat back in the day. Um, I'd be on the goal line on my backhand. It kind of gave a different look where I would come up the wall, but I never played on the point kind of like that before. I, I just think what I brought was uh, vocal. Like I brought like a voice, I think in the sense that I would tell Johnny, Hey, like do this or Hey, Monty, try this or Hey, Broads, we should do this. I think I, I was, I'm pretty vocal in that sense. And in, if I see something, I'll say it. Whereas maybe before there wasn't everyone on the same page. And I think that was probably what I brought. And then also, I think just my patience, um, whether it be if our, our breakout didn't look good, um, just to slow the puck down um, and make everyone realize that we shouldn't panic or in the zone once the puck's been going around, just to hold the puck and try to hold it from someone getting it and, and just slow the play down in the zone so we could get set up. Just little plays like that would be my strongest suit. And then also understanding I wasn't the guy on the power play. Um, I think that's the biggest part. Johnny and Monty are the guys on the power play. So if I can find a way, which I, I felt like I did a lot was drag guys down, give it to Brody, then give it to Johnny to make the play. And that's where they would get a lot of their offense was Johnny having so much time with the puck to come down and shoot or give it to Monty or hit Brower chase on, on the goal line. I think that was my strongest. I mean, I, I look at it. I had probably, probably, 15 or 20 third assists, but I understood that my strongest suit was making a play that would free up in one or two plays, Johnny or Monty to get their chances. Cool. So speaking of Johnny and Monty, like how, how closely do you follow this Flames team now that you're, you're retired? 
Um, and those two players specifically, like again, in 1819, when the team finished first in the West, those guys were completely lights out. They really struggled last year. Um, how close are you follow them? What, what do you see in their game now? And what do you expect from these guys that they still have a lot in the tank, a lot to offer? Yeah, they do. I know last year I think was um, a bit of a one-off in that sense, especially for Johnny. I, I think also when you see another guy like Kachuk, he steps up and now he's, he's the guy on the team too. Right. So yep. instead of before it was just Johnny and then Monty came along too. I kind of at the same time, obviously, but it was Johnny's, team for points what happens though is once you start getting more structured scoring and and the team the guys below them can score more generally the top guys points will go down so when we were winning cups in 2000 you know 10 and 9 Kane was only getting 70 points right he had 80 points the one year I believe right. um and then even when we won in 2015 you know I think he had 70 or 80 points he was hurt that year a little bit but th their point production doesn't go as up as much because you have more players below them now getting points. So it takes a little pressure off them. Okay. And then again, you need to find again to wait a way to create with maybe less important minutes. So Johnny might not be getting always offensive face-offs, whereas before he did. And now Matthew Kachuk's getting them. So now they got to find a way to split those. So I think you're not always going to get insane point totals I, uh, like they did in 18, 19. But I, I think it's just that now you have five or six guys that can get you 70 points, which is way better than having one guy get you 90 points. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, I was going to ask you about like the Kane and Gaudreau comparison, because I mean, you've played with both guys and I don't mean to say Johnny Gaudreau is Patrick Kane, but they kind of have similar skill sets and you've seen one guy, you know, be one of the most generational playoff performers in history in Patrick Kane. And then Johnny's kind of struggled a little bit. Is there anything Johnny you you've seen Johnny specifically in the playoffs where he can, I don't know, have a little more success? Yeah. Well, Kane is the most clutch player in the modern game. I mean, I've watched from, you know, the early nineties till now. And I know Joe Sackett had a lot of goals and, you know, there's a lot of players over that time, Claude Lemieux that were really clutch in big moments. But to me, there's no one, even close to Kane besides the overtime goals. But if you count his assists and goals yeah. he's been on, yeah. it's insane. So there's, there's something there that when, when the games are tight, he opens up somehow and he, he's still playing free. Uh, Johnny needs to find a way to do that in those games. He just needs to find a way that he can still play his game without making, you know, you don't have to take chances and understand your time around the game, but still play your game and still be dangerous um, without being insanely risky. So that's something he can do. Uh, Kane, the difference, the difference between those two is their shot for sure. Yeah. Uh, Johnny is better than Kane at, at skating in motion through crossovers. I've never seen anyone like Johnny in my life. He can cross over at full tilt all over the ice. He's, he's better than anyone in the world at it. Maybe Mitch Marner would be close, but, um, as, as a player as a whole, the differentiator for Kane is the shot and um, and the, the playoffs. He's just, but again, who can compare to Patrick Kane in the playoffs? I think, I think a thing for Johnny would be to do is watch Kane in big moments in the playoffs and see where he's going on the ice to get the puck uh, in order to get it and then make plays. Cause Kane in the playoffs, he, he's while well, everyone's panicking and, and coming into the zone to, 
you know, close up the box so no one can get shots through. Kane's going to areas on the ice consistently to get the pucks that he knows that will create panic uh, within the D zone. So maybe they should show Johnny a little bit of ways to create offense in the zone um, in high pressure situations that Kane can do and that he does. Well, what about, uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on Sean Monaghan? When you guys got swept by the ducks that like, from a, from a fan perspective, we've, we feel like you guys probably should at least won two of those games. Um, oh, yeah. and that you had that, that one, that one complete line change, right. That led to the goal the other way. It kind of just, you know, turned yeah. the, the whole tide in the game in the series. Um, but Sean Monahan, especially that series, he was like unbelievable scoring goals. Yeah. I think he had five or six goals and we, that was, that for me was the, hands down the weirdest series in terms of a sweep I've ever been a part of. I'd been a part of a couple others, but nothing where it was like, I was like, we're for sure just as good as these guys. I thought Yeah, you had yep. a lot of points to that playoff series. Um, but Sean, I think he gets unfairly criticized. He's not paid like Anze Kopitar, you know, yep. he he's not Anze Kopitar in the sense that you can put him out there against, you know, top lines every single night in the D zone. Sean is a first line center, but he's one that you have to put him in certain matchups in order to be successful. Not every team has Anze Kopitar or Jonathan Taze in his prime or, you know, Sidney Crosby, those teams, like they need to find ways it's just like Nashville. Right. And, and Sean's a better player uh, right now. And he has been over his career than Ryan Johansson, but Ryan Johansson too, you need to protect Ryan Johansson in in the D zone, right? You, you need to protect him in certain areas of the ice. He's still a number one center, but you're not going to get better players than him. If you just trade him away and try to bring in someone else that that could try to fill the void. Cause if you bring in someone else that can play more defense, but can't bring his offense, then Calgary's really screwed. Cause now you don't have a guy that's contributing offensively. So he's a guy that I didn't like how he was used in the playoffs. I think they used him too much defensively last year. They didn't put him in situations to succeed. And especially like coming out over in the Ozone, that's kind of where he's at his best. Um, he wasn't used properly in the playoffs last year. And, and you've seen, I think it played into his play uh, for the way he was going to come out and, and create offense. Yeah, we're, we noticed that too. We're a little concerned about uh, the way that Jeff Ward wants to roll out this team, make it more defense focused. Um, especially when in 1819, how great they were in their transition game and just offensively under Bill Peters. Um, yeah. What, what do you want to ask what, next, Mikey? Well, I'm, I'm just curious, like, okay, so come back a little bit to when you signed with the Flames. I know you're on a PTO with the Oilers. Um, I mean, that's 16, 17 years. Again, like you said, pretty weird. I thought the team was really good. And I know when you, you ultimately signed in Calgary, I know a lot of us were incredibly excited um, you had a great year that year. So firstly, like what is Brad Tree Living's pitch to you? You're up at Edmonton. What is Tree Living coming with you to like come to Calgary, buddy? Well, I was in Edmonton and the uh, I I talked to Peter Shirelli about the day before and he said, congrats, we're going to give you a deal. Um, and then I, I talked to him about my role within the team and you know, more so being there to help Jesse Pugliarvi along and I wouldn't play every game. And I still felt at that point, I'm like, well, I'm better than Jesse Pugliarvi. I better be playing, you know, especially if this team's making the playoffs. And, 
and I still felt I was better than a lot of players on their roster. So I was like, I don't want to just sit out every game if, if I feel like I'm still better than a lot of the players on their roster. And so then I actually had my agent. I'm like, I, we have a deal here, but can you just start looking and seeing what else? And he's like, well, I've already, you know, been kind of seeing, and there's a few teams that want to sign you. Um, but I'm like, can you see if Calgary is? He goes, yeah. And he called tree. And I guess Conroy really liked how I played in the game against Calgary. And they said, yeah, we'll for sure get one done, but we got to find a way to free up money. And that's kind of what happened with Johnny Gaudreau. You guys were trying to sign him at that point. And uh, yeah, you ended up signing him, I believe that day. And then you found out I, you could find money in order to bring me in. And then I decided to sign with Calgary uh, a little soon after that. You're probably still better than half the Oilers roster, to be honest, right now. I, I mean, swear to God, you, you, I, I think I'd be better than at least two or three of their forwards. I'm not even kidding. You could bring totally. I swear to God, you'd fit in their top six. Actually, you know what? You'd probably be good on the Flames still right now, honestly. But uh, I, I mean, that's the thing. When you're old now, you're old, you know. But <laughs> 34, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I've had a lot of injuries. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. Hard to take. It's hard to take a risk yeah. on me now. There's just no point. Would you would want to unless you'd play me 30, 40 games and 80 game schedule and try to save me for a playoff run, which teams can't do that now anymore. Yeah, yeah for sure. This, then, uh, this current flames team. So, um, you know, we've got into a bit, you have an in-depth knowledge of these guys like Sean Monahan, Johnny Gaudreau, just how good they are. Um, what do you think this team needs? Like we haven't won a playoff round for a while. And I mean, you go back even further. It's, there hasn't been a lot of playoff success. Um, what do you think this team needs? Well, Jacob Markstrom. So he uh, he's a buddy of mine. We played together in Florida. I kind of was there when he was a rookie and uh, just a great guy. He's someone that came in as a high prospect and then didn't play very good. I guess his first few years in Vancouver, he was kind of trying to figure out his game. And then he worked hard. He worked hard to become the great goaltender he is. And uh, I think he's a player that, he can win you a round. He can win you a series uh, and he's going to get you to the playoffs, which you still got to get to the playoffs, right? Yep. That's the number one thing. Uh, and and then you hope uh, if Riddich can be, it is, it's Riddich still there, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Cause yep. he got a two year, what? 3 million. Yeah. He's on his last, last, last uh, year. year of his deal this year. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I saw Louis Domingue sign there too. Just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i just saw his mask actually they just posted it's yeah, got the that's what i was saying that's what i was asking you i'm like yeah i just saw his mask i'm like wait did riddich go well that- brad yeah brad wanted to sign everybody who's been through the canucks organization this summer so he had to yeah. get the ming in there but yeah, yeah riddick's still around yeah okay so and if dave obviously you'd be a little concerned at the sense that he hasn't played well in the playoffs uh or he hasn't been used in the playoffs uh, yeah. and down big games down the stretch has been an issue for him. And, and yeah. even here when I was there, um, Mike Smith got hurt and yeah. he didn't yeah. play particularly well after the, the pressure was on him. So yeah. again, is he a starting goalie? I think the jury's closing their argument. Yeah. Is it still out? Maybe a little bit, not to say he can't uh, pull it, but you have your starting goalie now. I think Dave plays better as a backup because his personality, he's a really, really funny guy, really, um, you know, and, and when he's confident, you can see it. He's walking around confident. He's chirping. He's having fun. So um, for me, he plays better as a backup because he can keep his confidence at a high level where good goaltenders, 
they don't ride that wave of emotion. You know, the ones that are consistently good each and every night, Corey Crawford's and all these guys, they just know how to get the job done. Uh, and, and an 80, 82 game schedule. So they're going to play 50 to 60 games. So Dave, for me, you can spot him in. And if the pressure's not on him, maybe he can also come in if, if, if the series is 2-1, say, um, for Vancouver over Calgary. And, and Marky's not played great yet. Now you can throw Dave in. The pressure's not on him. He can come in, maybe steal you a game or two. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a pretty good scenario now for Dave. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's good for the for the flames because I do like Marky. Sweet. What did you, what did you think of the stick flip and the entire whole battle of Alberta this, this past season? Yeah. The battle of Alberta was great. That was a, <laughs> that was a throwback. Um, it, uh, it was something that, you know, when you put Chucky and Cassian on the ice at the same time, those are things you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing the antics won't stop as we go forward, especially because everyone's been sitting here pent up waiting to play hockey. So I'm, it's pretty exciting to see. And I hope, and I hope it can happen again here soon. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, Matthew Kachuk has, has, he's, he's breathed something into this organization that we haven't had maybe ever. Um, but for sure, at least a few decades. Um, you got to, to play with him in his rookie season. No one really expected him, I think, to have an impact on the game the way that he does uh, when he was first drafted. But what are your thoughts playing with him um, coming in, get to spend for his first year in the league with him? Well, he's he's got swagger that no one else has. He's that guy that teams, when they come in to play Calgary now, they're like, who's that guy who's like, super arrogant on the other team <laughs> that I just hate playing against, you know, and uh, he's not an arrogant human, no. you know, as a person, he's super down to earth, great guy, but as a hockey player, he's arrogant. He's, he's swagger. And, and that's kind of the same way. I think uh, looking back at our Chicago team, a lot of us had that mentality, you know, and again, I was never the player like him, but we all had that swagger and that mentality and arrogance to us in a game that I'm sure when teams played against us, they're like, this is like, annoying like these guys think they're so good and yeah yeah you know and it does play a mental role in a game yep. and Matt has that and you're right I don't remember a time since you know when when Calgary was good during those runs and again I was a baby so I don't remember exactly what that feeling was like of those teams but of the 90s you know the mid 90s um early 2000s there hasn't been a guy like Matt that brings that confidence each and every game that swagger uh to to Calgary that he has and then I guess while we're on personnel, what are Johnny and Monty like in the room? They seem like they're kind of inseparable. Um, just kind of looking from a fan's outside perspective. Any funny stories about those two? No, they're just, they're great guys. They're, you know, Johnny's pretty quiet for the most part. And then all of a sudden he'll bust out a joke and um, Monty again too. Uh, unreal guy. Um, super funny. Uh, dry sense of humor. And yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they're always hanging out there. They kind of do their own things. Um, but all in all, they're just, yeah, very personal people. And yeah, it was an absolute treat to play with them. Cool. Yeah, w- walk me through that 16, 17 year a little bit, because I mean, when I look back at the last few iterations of the flames, like I feel like that team was on paper. I mean, one of the most skilled teams Brad had put together. There was, a, there was a lot of potential there. You had the 10 game winning streak in the, in the middle of the season. Is there anything you can kind of pinpoint to say like where that season kind of got away from you or anything like that? I just think the one thing that we, I would have liked to seen a little bit more from us is just 
in big moments, um, just, just for Gully to make big, big, harder decisions. That would have probably been it. You know, a Gully is a great coach, great, great job, but you know, there's a lot of, you know, moments where I would have liked to, you know, you're hoping that a, a certain big decision need to be made, whether it be changing up a line or something like that. And it didn't happen. And that's fine too. I, I don't know if we would have won if that happened. I have no idea, but if I was to pinpoint something in the season that uh, maybe could have, you know, altered, you know, the, the energy and the tide at times, especially in that Anaheim series would have been, you know, making some hard decisions. Maybe he should have got you guys to go for a beer, eh? Yeah, that's uh, that's what apparently lit the ten game. <laughs> well, that's because I think pretty sure he took credit for that. I remember seeing him on an interview. He's like, "Yeah, well, you know, I yeah, told we the boys the <laughs> we're yeah. on the train from Ottawa to Mon- no Montreal to Ottawa, and they said no beer on the train, and then he came back and he told me he's like, "Chris, go get everyone beer." And I'm like, "All right, I'll get everyone beer." So we all got beer and. <laughs> We had some beers on the train, but Season yeah, six. pretty much started there. And then the the stick toss the following season. So he Gullitson's good. He's good for at least a ten game uh, ten game winning streak. Winning streak uh, each you, you would have been injured for the stick toss. Do you kind of remember that at all? Yeah, I remember that. I I I didn't see it, but I heard about it when the guys came in the room, and um, I remember even in the skills competition when. I had my kid, he threw a stick and I was calling it do the gullets. And... <laughs> I think I remember that. Uh, yeah, it was a fun time. I mean, it wasn't fun at that time. Yeah, no, I don't. It was a funny time yeah. to think back to now. But, you know, again, golly, he is he is one of the best people I've ever met. Oh, in the game. Yeah. Unbelievable guy. Um, and it couldn't be a funnier thing, you know, looking back and seeing him lose is cool like that. Because I probably would have done the same thing at that moment. I'm not kidding. I probably would have thrown everyone's sticks in the stands. Yeah, that was a frustrating year. What's the difference between like uh, on the surface you see like okay, well there's a guy like Joel Quenville, a guy like Glenn Gulletson. From a player's perspective, like what is the is how much of a difference is there playing under a certain type of coach like Gulletson? You heard he's like, oh, he's a player's coach. He's a really nice guy. And then I mean, kind of a little bit of the opposite for a guy like Joel Quenville. What's the yeah, difference? They they're very very different. Yeah. Um, Joel is the best gambler in the game. <laughs> I've never met a guy who all of a sudden there'll be three guys who've had, you know, 20 points together as a line combination over a seven game point streak. And then he doesn't like how one guy's going on that line and he'll interchange him. And within five minutes, that guy who got put on that line scores, you know? So as a player like myself, um, I was generally that guy who was getting interchanged me sharp. You know, you usually had Kane and Taze and then you had, um, um, sorry, Sharp and Hosa. So then you had myself, Ladd, and Bufflin. All God, that of- team is just stacked. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, and then you had Boland. And then, so then you had Ladd, Bufflin, Brower. Um, <laughs> Ladd, Bufflin, Brower. Who? Man, not Frazier, though. It was, there was, there's four of us. Kopecky. Uh, we're all kind of vying for three spots consistently yeah. every night. Uh, and it was, it was hard. It was competition. So there would be times where I would have, you know, 10 points. And I remember on like a 10 or 11 game point streak, I think it was, I think I had 11 game point streak, 11 points in 10 games or something. And then the next game I got, you know, a a shift into the game, I got benched 
or two, two shifts in the game. And then the, I think he put like someone else on the line might've been ladder buff. And then they scored the line I was with, you know? So it was just, and then that plays in my psyche, like, Oh, you know, like yeah. what the heck? I just got sat. Now, now you're on, you're on either the third or fourth line for the next, you know, week or two until it's your opportunity to get that chance again. So we had the depth and the guys to do that too, which now in Florida, he doesn't have that depth, which it's hard for him to do. Right. Um, but he had a lot of that in Chicago where he had a lot of players he can put into those situations uh, and bring into those spots that could play left or right wing and could be put into spots. And I think that's the biggest thing with Joel is he wants players that can play all three positions because there's going to be times in games where you're going to have to play all three positions. I mean, I played center, right wing and left wing numerous times in all games. So that's, that's the biggest thing with him. Some coaches just like guys who play, you know, left wing, some coaches just like guys who can play left or right wing and can interchange here and there. But Joel really likes versatility in all his players. That kind of reminds me of um, you, you played with Sam Bennett a lot that first, that 16, 17 year. And I think it was one of Sam's better years. I, I can't, we, there's a lot of Flames fans who kind of look at how Bennett has been utilized in the last little while. And we're kind of frustrated. It's like, just give this guy an opportunity. What does Sam Bennett need to do to kind of, you know, take that next step? I, I think what you're going to get from Sam is you're going to get a guy who can, again, he's a, he's a, he's not the guy on a line that you're going to build a line around. Right. He's the guy that's going to go up and down the lineup. That's going to create, you know, better play for Monaghan for a five game stretch and Goudreau. And then he's going to create better play for Kachuk through um, and Backlund through a five game stretch. He's that guy who's going to go in and interject energy. His game needs to stay at a more consistent level every night. That's why he plays so good in the playoffs. He can keep that energy level up each and every night, which he can't do during the regular season. And it's hard to do. Not many guys can. So you, you got to utilize him when his energy is going and when he's playing well, don't just sit him on the bench, get him out there, get him with top players and let him go. And once his energy drops off, take him off, put him back on the fourth line, let him reset for a week or two and then let him come back again. But yeah, you need to utilize them properly within the game. And that's again, back to Joel Quenville. He knew when those guys in those situations are going. Cool. Very cool. Just what, what can what can you tell us about uh, Joachim Nordstrom? We just <laughs> one of the one of the recent signings. I know there's a funny video of you guys singing at the. Yeah, I was gonna say you could pull up the video of us singing. He's a he's a good friend of mine. I was actually excited to see you guys sign him. He he can add so many elements uh, to your PK and your fourth line that, um, you know, a skill element too, an underrated skill element and shot uh, to a fourth line. So I was excited. Um, yeah, and he, he's just a great guy to be around. So I, okay. it's a great signing for for Calgary for the money. Uh, another Swede. Yeah, yeah. It uh, is. Are, the, are the Swedes that they just seem like they're a fun bunch? You guys are gonna have three crowns on your shoulder patch soon with all the Swedes. <laughs> yeah, no no kidding. Hey, we got a little Sweden in Calgary somewhere. Place yeah. the Alberta with Sweden. And they're all. I played with them all, and all good buddies of mine. You know, all I right. Played, you played with Lindholm in Carolina. That's right. Carolina. I played with Markstrom. I played with Nordy. And me and Nordy had been traded together in the past. So yep. uh, they were all on a flight together yesterday. All three guys. And like, <laughs> yep. They all end up on the same. We team. saw that on the Instagram. It's going to be yeah, I saw cool. Um, I think my last question for you is just coming back to coaching. Um, just as a fan of the flames, I think I mentioned it. We're our biggest, like we, I still like the team we have. I love the, the players we have. Um, I'm kind of not really sold hundred percent on Jeff Ward. 
I don't know if you know much about him or if, if you feel like having played with some of these core guys on the flames, um, what kind of style of coach they might need. I don't know if Glenn Galton was a guy, but how much of a, how much of a factor does coaching play? And is this team have the right coach? Yeah. I mean, I, I got to watch that a little closer. I think he's a, he's, he's been a good coach. I didn't like necessarily how guys were used uh, again, back to Johnny and Monty in the playoffs. And then they had to take the brunt of the blame uh, when you're underutilizing guys in positions of their strength, it's not good. I know you might not like how they're playing, but again, you're only going to win with your horses at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. So you have to play your horses in their strengths. And that didn't happen. Uh, he is a good coach and he's going to have time to kind of prove that. And I think I could form a better opinion in another he did a great job with them after Bill. And I think he's better for them um, than what was there prior because he is a little lighter on the guys. It seemed like he wanted them to have more fun. Uh, guys were excited to come to the rink. And that's why he's seen Calgary play a lot harder for him than they did in the first part of the season that last year. Yeah, And it's exciting to see, you know, so I think after you see another year of him, then I can form a better opinion on, on his coaching style and, and what I, I like and don't like about it. But overall, um, I think he is a good coach and he's definitely well-respected by a lot of people and people within hockey. Cool. I've got to, just to wrap up here, firstly, um, go, going back to your red deer rebel days. I mean, I was, you were playing under Brent Sutter. I was just looking at your, uh, your stat line. Cause I was like a teenager. Then I remember going to some rebels games and watching you play, but I don't remember you having a hundred, you had 103 pims that year in like 57 games. Yeah, there was, yeah, I mean, a couple <laughs> fights. I think you can pull up one fight. There's like a line brawl. Um, not like, not like fighting tough guys or anything, but there was, I mean, it was in those days, not so much those days, but a couple of years prior to that. Yeah. My 2002, three year, I think it is three, four, three, four. Sorry. When I started, um, I mean, I played with DJ King on one wing and I played with Derek Parker on the other. And I mean, there was line brawls every other game. Yeah, literally. So even if you were in a line brawl and you were kind of fighting, they just gave you five minutes and you wouldn't even really be fighting because you're basically just holding on, you know, um, it, it was, it was crazy. I mean, when I came in the league, I was five, seven, 145 pounds. And these guys were full on killers, right? Yeah. Like you had DJ King who's six, five, two thirty, and I'm, I'm a child right and i don't have hair on my face and so um there are a lot different days then and, and again players like myself uh, young kids now 16 17 year olds they come in they play first line in junior they're given the opportunity back then you played fourth line or you're out of the lineup and you had to you had to hit and you had to get really uncomfortable in order to get in the lineup and fight in practice you know fight for your job fight for your playing time and uh at my size, it was, it was intimidating, but then going a few years later. So after 2004 or five, the NHL had the lockout and they kind of shifted the rules yep. and that's where the game started to change. And that was my 19 year old year, uh, 2005, six. And that's where the, the game, you lost the red line. Cause in my first few years, you're playing two line passes, right? The, the red line was still in, uh, hooking was still in all that was still in. And then after that, you know, hooking got brought out and the red line got brought out again, slashing and cross checking and fighting was still there. So that part was still in the game in 2006, but you started to lose a lot of the bigger, tougher guys as a whole. There was 
usually you had like four or five on a team by then it was about one or two. Yeah. So yeah, again, I just think it was a lot of line brawls, a lot of dumb penalties. Cause I was sticking up for myself. Um, I would just swing my stick at someone's back or legs as hard as I could, it, you know, I didn't care. Um, that's, that's just the way I thought. I was like, if this guy's going to try to like literally kill me and, and decapitate me, I'm going to swing at him as hard as I can. And if I cross check him anywhere, it didn't matter. It was my self-defense. So I took a lot of dumb penalties and I'm sure Brent was angry at me a lot. Um, but that's just, that's just kind of the time it was. And it was a lot of fun, but there were a lot of penalty minutes. And I think even my Rockford Ice Hogs year, I, I had the penalty minute, you know, record. 100. 174. Yeah. Yeah. It was the record for almost eight or nine. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast, podcast, podcast. Okay, well, we didn't uh, we didn't tease this out. We didn't promo it. And part of it was because uh, we had this guy coming on last year. We had him lined up, and then um, it didn't work out. So I didn't want to jump the gun. He seems like a harder guy to kind of. You know, well, the pandemic happened before we were, we were had him scheduled to come on, and then all this shit happened. So, <clears throat> yeah. But Christopher Stieg is our guest today. Um, any stats you want to go through? Stats, like I mean, underrated like, NHLer. Well, and and talk about a guy that his career, um, he did all. I mean, we you'll hear him in his in the interview um, discussing about at times when he's going through the whirlwind, those first four years of his NHL career, he's like got Stanley cups. He's traded all over the place. And like, is he's standing, you know, he, he, at times he can't believe what's going on with his life. Well, right. Like he's a fifth round draft pick gets traded from the team. He was drafted by plays like as an overage overager in the WHL plays like three years in the AHL. Like wasn't really a highly touted guy. He's from Lethbridge. I mean, like he, it's not like people are expecting him to come into the NHL and place ahead of a guy like Steven Stamkos in Calder trophy voting. Yep. Like he was third, he was third in Calder voting that year. It might've been second, third, I think when he broke into the league, scored 20 goals was an incredibly impactful player on one of the most historic, like how stacked is that team, that black, those Blackhawks teams, like the first, that, that the first year they won the cup, that's probably the best modern day NHL team ever assembled. And man, they were so fun to watch too. Like their third line is like what Versteeg, Bufflin and Brower or Versteeg and Bufflin and Ladd. Like, holy, that's your third line. 
Well, they had Kane, Taze, and Sharp for were, were they lying for the longest time? I know they're when they connect on the power play, it was so yeah. deadly with Hosa, Keith and Seabrook. Hosa, Seabrook in his prime. Yeah, I didn't even think of the D. Keith yeah. and Seabrook. Don't forget about the Nor didn't uh Keith win the Norris? Well, I mean, both those guys were incredible during that period of time. So I mean you go like you go from playing junior and playing in the AHL and toiling win at AHL being like an impact player, not, not even an impact player, one of the star players on one of the most stacked teams in history yeah. and winning a Stanley cup in like four years. Well, and he's, he's mentioned it. We brought it up today. He talked about it on spit and chicklets where he's, he's working at sport check almost at a place where he's like, well, what am I going to do with my life? Didn't, didn't know. Like some of these, you know, these, these all-stars, they know they're going to NHL. Um, their path is, is clear to them. For Stieg, not so much. Like, didn't know if he was coming or going. Next thing you know, he's in the Calder Trophy winning race, winning yeah. Stanley Cup, and it's just like a whirlwind. So pretty great career. And, I mean, from a Flames perspective, like, I remember being really stoked when the Flames signed him. Because he's I, like Honestly, like, definitely my low-key favorite Flame that we've had in the last five years. Totally. He's like – I was same same boat. I was stoked when we got him. I always loved watching him. He's he he was a fun player to watch, especially yeah. on the power play. He talks about the power play. Yeah, like I remember, he's like one of those guys. Is like, holy shit, we got him because he had, he had bounced around a bit. He had been back to Chicago, won another Stanley Cup, but it was just it was a because it was just a weird thing. Like even though he's from Lethbridge and from Alberta and and a, a very humble like guy from Alberta still, he was like one of those names that was like, oh sweet, we got Versteeg let's go right like i mean i yeah. think brower signed that same year maybe a year before and i was way more excited about the christopher steeg acquisition than the troy brower acquisition like for was so good for the flames that first year um he mentions it uh asking glenn goldson to to put him on the power play the power play was fucking dynamite that year after he after they got him to rover it like i think the yeah. unit was i i it was him brody g or him brody monty johnny and brower and after he, after they put him on the right flank, they were, they were fucking dynamite that year. Yeah. They were, uh, it was so much fun to watch. And, and again, like I mentioned in the, in the interview, but from going from like the power play, just sucking for, it seems like forever to finally actually being fun to watch and actually scoring goals, man. Yeah. And he was great epic. that year, not only in terms of his on ice stuff, but his personality and stuff. Yeah, he brought he brought a ton to the table <laughs> that year. Sorry, I've been drinking be a okay lot of coffee. <laughs> All right, so without further ado, um, here's the interview with Chris Versteeg. Enjoy. Versteeg shoots, scores. What a shot by Chris Versteeg! Chris Versteeg on the power play. Versteeg with the shot, scores. Scores! What a move by Versteeg. Chris Versteeg against his old team. Versteeg scores! And the Flames finish it off in Chicago. How's it going? Good. How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. I, uh, hey, man. Not good. Uh, blame my wife because she didn't get the upgraded in. <laughs> I can hear in the background. All right, so um, I mean, we'll st we'll kind of start like again. We'll we want to get into some flame stuff, seeing as you know we loved you here in Calgary and you're you're an Alberta boy. But seeing as you had such a storied career, 
I kind of just want to start off with like, you're from Lethbridge. You've got a great story from coming from Lethbridge. Uh, what was it like growing up in Lethbridge? What do you attribute to Lethbridge for turning into the player and having the career that you had? Well, I, I grew up in uh, North Lethbridge. So anyone who knows Lethbridge well, it's the, uh, it's the rougher part of town to say yes. the least. So, um, a lot of my friends growing up, you know, uh, we all grew up kind of in and around the same area, played on the streets every day. I mean, our, our street hockey games were legitimate war. Um, I'm talking full, full contact on the grass, slashing, fighting. I, I mean, I think the <laughs> street awesome. hockey games growing up made me really into the player I am. I was never the toughest player or anything by those means, but for my size growing up in the era I did, you had to play bigger than you were. And uh, a lot of where I grew up and how that went about went into the type of player I became and, and why I think throughout the era I played again, there's a lot smaller players now, but especially at the start, why I could play with those bigger guys that were stronger, that would, you know, really try to intimidate you. And again, yep. intimidation isn't a thing in today's game. Um, speed and skill is the intimidating factor in today's game, but physical play used to be in every single game. You, there would be some games where you'd be scared. So where I grew up got me ready for every single thing I went through, uh, in the juniors and then into pro. Yeah, I remember I heard you say once you were like, I learned hockey on the streets. Literally. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny now because I think I'm a bit of an anomaly in the sense that I never got I never played on one spring hockey team. I played hockey from September 1st or sorry, mid-August when the Sutter, you know, there would be a camp in the summer or August. I think it'd be mid-August. Yeah, one or two camps. And then I'd be done at the end of March. So I never played April, May, June, July, and then even mid-August. So I, I only played, you know, seven months out of the year, really. I played soccer and then I played street hockey every single day. So I never had a skills coach. I never had a skating lesson my entire life. So it was, it was a lot of my dad telling me kind of what he thought I could do and what I should do to get better uh, and listening to him and taking that in. And then also just watching players and then literally going onto the street and playing road hockey and trying to see what I learned on TV and do it and do it on the street. So my skills coach was my brothers and my dad, and that was from all just playing street hockey and really, um, I, I think, really trying to never be denied was the, was the last thing. So that that put a chip on my shoulder, seeing all these other kids who could get extra money to go play in spring hockey, summer hockey, get skills coaches where I couldn't. I just had to find ways without doing that to get better. And I found a way, I think my hips paid for it because I didn't have the prettiest skating stride. So that's why I think I've had two hip surgeries and hip issues is because it was all from um, more ability than um, well, technique. Whereas I think if I would have been taught maybe proper technique as a kid, maybe it could have saved a couple hip surgeries. Yeah. Who, what, are your, what are your thoughts on um, just the way that the style of the, like you just mentioned, there's not really intimidation in the game anymore. Um, more more about skill and whatnot what do you like from a philosophical perspective on the game of game of hockey itself how do you feel about that do you think it'll ever go back like what's what are your thoughts i i personally think the game's caught in a bit of limbo in the sense that they want to be all about skill and speed but they still let certain dirty things go which is kind of strange to me which which i don't like i still love hits i love hard hits i love battles but I think if you're going to go towards the speed and skill, then you have to do it for speed and skill. You can't let still little things go like 
you can't let teams play that hard uh, every single night and do that much interference against Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or Johnny Gaudreau. You need to let their skill shine through. So you want to promote skill, but you won't let those guys get any extra calls against them. And then if, if you complain about it, you're like, wow, they're the star players. That's how it should be. Well, basketball, and, I, and I'm not saying we should be basketball by any yeah. means, um, by any means, but they protect their star players and their play, star pairs get paid because of the way they, they first are allowed to play. The refs are allowed to ref them a little bit differently, which they still have to fight through it, but they're, they, they're ref like star players, which the NHL doesn't, doesn't necessarily do that, which I think they should do. They should start to really protect their star players. And then if they're going to protect their star players, then they have to promote their star players because that's how they're going to get extra revenue. And right now, um, you can see that the NBA is still going because they found ways to garner extra revenue throughout those years where the NHL didn't. We relied on ticket sales, and that's because I think we need to really prop up our star players, make them bigger, and the refs need to protect them. And if you're going to promote skill, then let the skill flourish, right? Don't promote, we're kind of doing skill, but it's still hard, which you still want the game to be hard, but you need to protect those guys, I think, in order to sell more tickets and, and then create more brands around the players. Yeah, I I mean I remember that game where the Wild slashed Gaudreau's hand like 32 times and broke his broke his finger. That should never be. It makes no sense. That had yeah. nothing to do with the game. It had nothing to do. And again, I played in a time where that was fine. You could slash guys' fingers and hands, and, that, yeah. and that's fine. <clears throat> and I'm not complaining about that. But if now you want to promote the skill, really go out and promote the skill. Let the skill shine through because it, if you're caught in limbo. And you can't really let the skill shine through. I still think you're holding some fan base back. And I think the true fans will always come with hockey. So really make it about the skill then and the speed of the players, because I still think the players aren't fully, you're not actually seeing fully what the players can do all the time. Totally. 100%. Yeah. It's a good perspective. Um, you, were you a flame sign flames fan growing up in Lethbridge? No, I was the Oilers fan. Oilers. So, uh, okay. Yeah, right. My dad, uh, um, my dad is the biggest Wayne Gretzky fan and obviously, you know, eighties Oilers, um, yeah. a lot of Albertans kind of drifted that way who weren't yeah. from Calgary. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and I mean, Calgary had great teams too, but my dad just being the biggest Wayne Gretzky fan made me watch all Oilers games growing up. And then, um, probably around 11 or 12, I started to make decisions for myself and, uh, <laughs> uh I like Detroit though. Like they yeah. were my team growing up. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't claim I was the most hardcore Oilers fan after that point, but up until about 10, I would have been. Uh, and then I was just all about Steve Iserman and, yeah. and Joe Yeah. And, and the other thing was, is I, I followed one player probably closer because I thought I played a little bit like him. I was never as good as him, but it was Peter Forsberg. Oh. So I loved watching them play um, growing up to, again, I wasn't ever close to what he was, but I just thought I played similar, like really similar to him. And so I really tried to watch how he played. Uh, so I followed him, but yeah, Detroit was, they were my team. That's cool. awesome. That's so interesting. The Forsberg comparison. Cause I mean, I've been watching a lot of your highlights specifically when you were in Calgary and I kind of forgot how great of a playmaker you were like, Holy shit. You had that one pass to Brower. I was watching you go between your legs and Brower just taps it in. Like you're an underrated playmaker. I think the playmaking was actually my strongest part of my game. Um, again, when I was coming into the league, I 
I would play with Kane and Taze, but when you're playing on a team with arguably the best, you know, you're playing with Kane and then you're playing with Hosa and these are all in like my prime years too. Right. Yeah. Um, where do, where do I kind of fit in? I'm not going to be the playmaker, right? I'm going to have to play a little grittier and play other things that would make me uncomfortable. Uh, and so that's what I did. Cause it was the only way I'd get in the lineup. I couldn't play like Kane and I couldn't play like, you know, sharp and host. I had to find other ways. So I finally went to Florida where they gave me the ball. And I mean, at, up until uh, I tore my hip, I was top 10 in scoring and a lot of it came off my playmaking. Um, and it, it had always been number one for me was my vision and playmaking. I, I think my tenacity to go get pucks back, uh, was probably my strongest suit, but after that would be playmaking and then scoring. Cool. Yeah. I you just, really helped. I remember you really helped out the, the power play there. You know, it's always been a sore spot for the flames. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Cause I remember there, I mean, they obviously you got to, they were trying the young guys at the start of the year. Uh, and then, so I wasn't really, I wasn't playing power play. I was just playing on the third line here and there with Benny and brow. Uh, and then I got hurt. Uh, it was on my, it was in my groin. I think I was out for about a month and then I came back and our power play was at 6%. I remember. And it was last place. <laughs> oh boy. And I went into the room and I told Glenn Gullitz and I'm like, give me a chance on the power play, please give me a chance on the top power play. And I'm like, I won't let you down. I told him and he's like, okay, I'll give you a chance. And I'm like, please. So uh, I came back from that injury and we played Anaheim that night. Uh, and we had two goals. I remember um, Monaghan scored in the slot. I threw a shitty pass and it got tipped and he scored, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and then had another assist. So I remember my first game after asking Gully for the power play, first line power play, uh, we scored two goals and then that was where it just ignited. I mean, guys were scoring at a, I think we we're close to a 25, 26% pace the rest of the season. And we finished, uh, I believe 10th in the league or 11th. You guys could quote me if I'm wrong. Yeah. You definitely were top 15. Yeah. And, and we were at 30th place in mid November. Right. And and then after that, the next year, we kind of carried it into next year too. Uh, I was, my leg was mangled though. Yeah. And, yep. uh, but our power play was still rolling up for a while there. It was pretty good. And it, it was just, I was happy that Gully gave me the opportunity after asking him. Yeah. yeah you had like, you had like seven, I think it was seven of your 15 goals that you were on the power play. It's just like, you were lighting it up. So when you, when you're working that, like you were working that point there on the, the right point for most of the time, what's your attack look like? What are you doing on the power play? Like, what do you bring to that power play that made it so effective? I never actually played that side really before yeah. on the power play. I played that side on the on the low walk when, uh, like on the goal line, when I played with Martin Havlat back in the day. Um, I'd be on the goal line on my backhand. It kind of gave a different look where I would come up the wall. But mm -hmm. I never played on the point kind of like that before. I, I just think what I brought was uh, vocal. Like I brought like a voice, I think, in the sense that I would tell Johnny, Hey, like do this or Hey, Monty, try this or Hey, Broads, we should do this. I think I, I was, I'm pretty vocal in that sense. And, and if I see something, I'll say it. Whereas maybe before there wasn't everyone on the same page. And I think that was probably what I brought. And then also I think just my patience, um, whether it be if our, our breakout didn't look good, um, 
just to slow the puck down um, and make everyone realize that we shouldn't panic or in the zone once the puck's been going around just to hold the puck and try to hold it from someone getting it and just slow the play down in the zone so we could get set up just little plays like that would be my strongest suit and then also understanding I wasn't the guy on the power play um, I think that's the biggest part Johnny and Monty are the guys on the power play so if I can find a way, which I, I felt like I did a lot, was drag guys down, give it to Brody, then give it to Johnny to make the play, and that's where they would get a lot of their offense, was Johnny having so much time with the puck to come down and shoot or give it to Monty or hit Brower or chase on on the goal line. I think that was my strongest. I mean, I, I look at it, I had probably, probably 15 or 20 third assists, but I understood that my strongest suit was making a play that would free up in one or two plays Johnny or Monty to get their chances cool so speaking of johnny money like how how closely do you follow this flames team now that you're, you're retired um and those two players specifically like again in 1819 when the team finished first in the west those guys were completely lights out they really struggled last year um how closely you follow them what what do you see in their game now and what do you expect from these guys that they still have a lot in the tank a lot to offer yeah, they do. I know last year I think was um, a bit of a one-off in that sense, especially for Johnny. I, I think also when you see another guy like Kachuk, he steps up and now he's he's the guy on the team too, right? So yeah. instead of before it was just Johnny and then Monty came along too. I kind of at the same time, obviously, but it was Johnny's team for points. What happens though is once you start getting more structured scoring and, and the, team, the guys below them can score more, generally the top guys points will go down. So when we were winning cups in 2010 and nine, Kane was only getting 70 points, right? He had 80 points the one year, I believe. Right. Um, and then even when we won in 2015, you know, I think he had 70 or 80 points. He was hurt that year a little bit, but th their point production doesn't go as up as much because you have more players below them now getting points. So it takes a little pressure off them. Right. And then again, you need to find again to wait a way to create with maybe less important minutes. So Johnny might not be getting always offensive face-offs, whereas before he did. And now Matthew Kachuk's getting them. So now they got to find a way to split those. So I think you're not always going to get insane point totals. I uh, like they did in 18, 19, but I, I think it's just that now you have five or six guys that can get you 70 points, which is way better than having one guy get you 90 points. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, I was going to ask you about like the Kane and Gaudreau comparison, because I mean, you've played with both guys and I don't mean to say Johnny Gaudreau is Patrick Kane, but they kind of have similar skill sets and you've seen one guy, you know, be one of the most generational playoff performers in history in Patrick Kane. And then Johnny's kind of struggled a little bit. Is there anything Johnny you you've seen Johnny specifically in the playoffs where he can, I don't know, have a little more success. Yeah. Well, Kane is the most clutch player in the modern game. I mean, I've watched from, you know, the early nineties till now. And I know Joe Sackick had a lot of goals and, you know, there's a lot of players over that time, Claude Lemieux that were really clutch in big moments. But to me, there's no one even close to Kane besides the overtime goals. But if you count his assists and goals yeah. he's been on, yeah. it's insane. So there's, there's something there that when, when the games are tight, he opens up somehow and he, he's still playing free. Uh, Johnny needs to find a way to do that in those games. He just needs to find a way that he can still play his game without making 
you know, you don't have to take chances and understand your time around the game, but still play your game and still be dangerous um, without being insanely risky. So that's something he can do. Uh, Kane, the difference, the difference between those two is their shot for sure. Yeah. Uh, Johnny is better than Kane at, at skating in motion through crossovers. I've never seen anyone like Johnny in my life. He can cross over at full tilt all over the ice. He's, he's better than anyone in the world at it. Maybe Mitch Marner would be close, but um, as, as a player as a whole, the differentiator for Kane is the shot and, um, and the, the playoffs. He's just, but again, who can compare to Patrick Kane in the playoffs? I think, I think a thing for Johnny would be to do is watch Kane in big moments in the playoffs and see where he's going on the ice to get the puck uh, in order to get it and then make plays. Cause Kane in the playoffs, he, he's, while well, everyone's panicking and, and coming into the zone to, you know, close up the box so no one can get shots through. Kane's going to areas on the ice consistently to get the pucks that he knows that will create panic uh, within the D zone. So maybe they should show Johnny a little bit of ways to create offense in the zone um, in high pressure situations that Kane can do and that he does. Well, what about, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on Sean Monaghan? When you guys got swept by the Ducks, that like, from a from a fan perspective, we we feel like you guys probably should at least won two of those games. Um, oh yeah, and the, you had that that one that one complete line change right that led to the goal the other way that kind of just you know turned yeah. the the whole tide in the game in the series. Um, but Sean Monahan, especially that series, he was like unbelievable scoring goals. Yeah, I think he had five or six goals, and we that was that for me was the hands down the weirdest series in terms of a sweep I've ever been a part of. I'd been a part of a couple others, but nothing where it was like, I was like, we're for sure just as good as these guys. I thought Yeah, a lot of points to that playoff series. Um, But Sean, I think he gets unfairly criticized. He's not paid like Anze Kopitar, you know, he he's not Anze Kopitar in the sense that you can put him out there against, you know, top lines every single night in the D zone. Sean is a first line center, but he's one that you have to put him in certain matchups in order to be successful. Not every team has Anze Kopitar or Jonathan Taze in his prime or, you know, Sidney Crosby. Those teams, like, they need to find ways. It's just like Nashville. And and, and Sean's a better player uh, right now, and he has been over his career than Ryan Johansson. But Ryan Johansson, too, you need to protect Ryan Johansson in – in the D zone, right? You, you need to protect him in certain areas of the ice. He's still a number one center, but you're not going to get better players than him. If you just trade him away and try to bring in someone else that that could try to fill the void. Cause if you bring in someone else that can play more defense, but can't bring his offense, then Calgary's really screwed. Cause now you don't have a guy that's contributing offensively. So he's a guy that I didn't like how he was used in the playoffs. I think they used him too much defensively last year. They didn't put him in situations to succeed. And especially like coming out over in the ozone, that's kind of where he's at his best. Um, he wasn't used properly in the playoffs last year. And, and you've seen, I think it played into his play uh, for the way he was going to come out and, and create offense. Yeah. We're, we noticed that too. We're a little concerned about uh, the way that Jeff Ward wants to roll out this team, make it more defense focused. Um, especially when in 1819, how great they were in their transition game and just offensively under Bill Peters. Um, 
Yeah. What, what do you want to ask what, next, Mikey? Well, I'm, I'm just curious, like, okay, so come back a little bit to when you signed with the Flames. I know you were on a PTO with the Oilers. Um, I mean, that's 16, 17 years. Again, like you said, pretty weird. The t- I thought the team was really good. And I know when you you ultimately signed in Calgary, I know a lot of us were incredibly excited. Um, you had a great year that year. So firstly, like, what is Brad Tree Living's pitch to you? You're up in Edmonton. What is Tree Living coming with you to, like, come to Calgary, buddy? Well, I was in Edmonton, and the uh, I, I talked to Peter Shirelli about the day before and he said congrats we're going to give you a deal um and then i i talked to him about my role within the team and you know more so being there to help jesse pooley along and i wouldn't play every game and i still felt at that point i'm like well i'm better than jesse pooley i better be playing you know especially if this team's making the playoffs and and i still felt i was better than a lot of players on their roster so i was like i don't want to just sit out every game if if I feel like I'm still better than a lot of the players on their roster. And so then I actually had my agent. I'm like, uh, we have a deal here, but can you just start looking and seeing what else? And he's like, well, I've already, you know, been kind of seeing, and there's a few teams that want to sign you. Um, but I'm like, can you see if Calgary is, he goes, yeah. And he called tree. And I guess Conroy really liked how I played in the game against Calgary. And they said, yeah, we'll for sure get one done, but we got to find a way to free up money. And that's kind of what happened with Johnny Gaudreau. You guys were trying to sign him at that point. And uh, yeah, you ended up signing him, I believe, that day. And then you found out I, you could find money in order to bring me in. And then I decided to sign with Calgary uh, a little soon after that. You're probably still better than half the Oilers roster, to be honest, right now. I, I swear mean, to God, you, you, I, I think I'd be better than at least two or three of their forwards. I'm not even kidding. You could bring totally. I swear to God, you'd fit in their top six. Actually, you know what? You'd probably be good on the Flames still right now, honestly. But uh, I, I mean, that's the thing. When you're old now, you're old, you know. But <laughs> 34, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I've had a lot of injuries. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. Hard to take. It's hard to take a risk yeah. on me now. There's just no point. Would you would want to unless you'd play me 30, 40 games in an 80 game schedule and try to save me for a playoff run, which teams can't do that now anymore. Yeah, yeah for sure. This, then, uh, this current flames team. So, um, you know, we've got into a bit, you have an in-depth knowledge of these guys like Sean Monahan, Johnny Gaudreau, just how good they are. Um, what do you think this team needs? Like we haven't won a playoff round for a while. And I mean, you go back even further. It's, there hasn't been a lot of playoff success. Um, what do you think this team needs? Well, Jacob Markstrom. So he uh, he's a buddy of mine. We played together in Florida. I kind of was there when he was a rookie and uh, just a great guy. He's someone that came in as a high prospect and then didn't play very good, I guess, his first few years in Vancouver. He was kind of trying to figure out his game, and then he worked hard. He worked hard to become the great goaltender he is. And uh, I think he's a player that, he can win you a round. He can win you a series uh, and he's going to get you to the playoffs, which you still got to get to the playoffs, right? Yep. That's the number one thing. Uh, and and then you hope uh, if Riddich can be, it is, it's Riddich still there, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Cause yep. he got a two year, what? 3 million. Yeah. He's on his last, last, last year. Uh, year of his deal this year. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I saw Louis Domingue sign there too. Just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i just saw his mask actually they just posted his yeah, that's what i was saying that's what i was asking you i'm like yeah i just saw his mask i'm like wait did riddich go well Is brad that- yeah brad wanted to sign everybody who's been through the canucks organization this summer so he had to yeah. get the ming in there 
But yeah, yeah Riddick's that's... still around. Yeah, okay. So, and if Dave, obviously you'd be a little concerned at the sense that he hasn't played well in the playoffs uh, or he hasn't been used in the playoffs uh, yeah. and down big games down the stretch has been an issue for him. And, and yeah. even here when I was there, um, Mike Smith got hurt and yeah. he didn't yeah. play particularly well after the, the pressure was on him. So yeah. again, is he a starting goalie? I think the jury's closing their argument. Yeah. Is it still out? Maybe a little bit, not to say he can't uh, pull it, but you have your starting goalie now. I think Dave plays better as a backup because his personality, he's a really, really funny guy, really, um, you know, and, and when he's confident, you can see it. He's walking around confident, he's chirping, he's having fun. So um, for me, he plays better as a backup because he can keep his confidence at a high level where good goaltenders, they don't ride that wave of emotion. You know, the ones that are consistently good each and every night, Corey Crawford's and all these guys, they just know how to get the job done uh, and, and an 80, 82 game schedule. So they're going to play 50 to 60 games. So Dave, for me, you can spot him in. And if the pressure's not on him, maybe he can also come in. If, if, if the series is two, one, say um, for Vancouver over Calgary and, and Marky's not played great yet. Now you can throw Dave in the pressure's not on him. He can come in, maybe steal you a game or two. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a pretty good scenario now for Dave. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's good for the for the Flames because I do like Marky. Sweet. What did you, what did you think of the stick flip and the entire whole Battle of Alberta this this past season? Yeah, the Battle of Alberta was great. That was a <laughs> that was a throwback. Um, it uh, it was something that you know when you put Chucky and Cassie on the ice at the same time, those are things you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing the antics won't stop as we go forward, especially because everyone's been sitting here pent up waiting to play hockey. So I'm, it's pretty exciting to see. And I hope, and I hope it can happen again here soon. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, Matthew Kachuk has, has, he's, he's breathed something into this organization that we haven't had maybe ever. Um, but for sure, at least a few decades, um, you got to, to play with him in his rookie season, no one really expected him, I think, to have an impact on the game the way that he does uh, when he was first drafted. But what are your thoughts playing with him um, coming in, get to spend for his first year in the league with him? Well, he's he's got swagger that no one else has. He's that guy that teams, when they come in to play Calgary now, they're like, who's that guy who's like super arrogant on the other team <laughs> that I just hate playing against? You know, and he's not an arrogant human. No. You know, as a person, he's super down to earth, great guy. But as a hockey player, he's arrogant. He's he's swagger. And and that's kind of the same way. I think uh, looking back at our Chicago team, a lot of us had that mentality, you know, and again, I was never the player like him, but we all had that swagger and that mentality and arrogance to us in a game that I'm sure when teams played against us, they're like, this is like annoying. Like these guys think they're so good and yeah, yeah, you know, and it does play a mental role in a game and Matt has that. And you're right. I don't remember a time since, you know, when, when Calgary was good during those runs, again, I was a baby. So I don't remember exactly what that feeling was like of those teams, but of the nineties, you know, the mid nineties, um, early two thousands, there hasn't been a guy like Matt that brings that confidence each and every game, that swagger, uh, to, to Calgary that he has. And then I guess while we're on personnel, what are Johnny and Monty like in the room? They seem like they're kind of inseparable. Um, just kind of looking from a fan's outside perspective. Any funny stories about those two? 
No, they're just, they're great guys. They're, you know, Johnny's pretty quiet for the most part. And then all of a sudden he'll bust out a joke and, um, Monty again too. Uh, unreal guy. Um, super funny, uh, dry sense of humor. And yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they're always hanging out there. They kind of do their own things. Um, but all in all, they're just, yeah, very personal people. And it was an absolute treat to play with them. Cool. Yeah, walk me through that 16, 17 year a little bit, because I mean, when I look back at the last few iterations of the flames, like, I feel like that team was on paper. I mean, one of the most skilled teams Brad had put together, there was, a, there was a lot of potential there. You had the 10 game winning streak in the, in the middle of the season. Is there anything you can kind of pinpoint to say like where that season kind of got away from you or anything like that? I just think the one thing that we, I would have liked to seen a little bit more from us is just in big moments, um, just, just for gully to make big, big, harder decisions. That would have probably been it. You know, a gully is a great coach, great, great job. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, moments where I would have liked to, you know, you're hoping that a, a certain big decision need to be made, whether it be changing up a line or something like that. And, it didn't happen. And that's fine too. I, I don't know if we would have won if that happened. I have no idea, but if I was to pinpoint something in the season that uh, maybe could have, you know, altered, you know, the, the energy and the tide at times, especially in that Anaheim series would have been, you know, making some hard decisions. Maybe he should have got you guys to go for a beer. eh? Yeah. That's uh that's what apparently lit the 10 game. <laughs> well, that's cause I think I'm pretty sure he took credit for that. I remember seeing him on an interview. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I yeah, told we're the boys. On the <laughs> we're yeah. on the train from Ottawa to Mon no, Montreal to Ottawa. And they said no beer on the train. And then he came back and he told me, he's like, Chris, go get everyone beer. And I'm like, all right, I'll get everyone beer. So we all got <laughs> beer and we had some beers on the train. But Season yeah, pretty much started there. And then the the stick toss the following season. So he Gullitson good. He's good for at least a ten game uh, ten game winning, win, winning streak. Uh, each season. You, you would have been injured for the stick toss. Do you kind of remember that at all? Yeah, I remember that. I I I didn't see it, but I heard about it when the guys came in the room. And um, I remember even in the skills competition when I had my kid, he threw a stick, and I was calling it "Do the Gullitson." <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a fun time. I mean, it wasn't fun at that time. Yeah, no, I do. It was a funny time yeah. to think back to now. But you know, again, Golly, he is he is one of the best people I've ever met. Oh, in the yeah. game. unbelievable guy. Um, and it couldn't be a funnier thing, you know, looking back and seeing him lose his cool like that. Because I probably would have done the same thing at that moment. I'm not kidding. I probably would have thrown everyone's sticks in the stands. Yeah, that was a frustrating year. What's the difference between like? A on the surface you see like, okay, well, there's a guy like Joel Quenville, a guy like Glenn Gullitson from a player's perspective, like what is the, is how much of a difference is there playing under a certain type of coach like Gullitson you heard? He's like, Oh, he's a player's coach. He's a really nice guy. And then, I mean, kind of a little bit of the opposite for a guy like Joel Quenville. What's the yeah, difference? They, they're very, very different. Yeah. Um, Joel is the best gambler in the game. <laughs> I've never met a guy who all of a sudden, there'll be three guys who've had, you know, 20 points together as a line combination over a seven game point streak. And then he doesn't like how one guy's going on that line and he'll interchange him. And within five minutes, that guy who got put on that line scores. 
you know, so as a player like myself, um, I was generally that guy who was getting interchanged me sharp, you know, you usually had Kane and Taze and then you had, um, um, sorry, sharp and Hosa. So then you had myself, lad and Bufflin. All God, that of- team is just stacked. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. And then you had Boland and then, so then you had lad Bufflin Brower, um, <laughs> Vlad Bufflin Brower, who? Man, not Frazier though. It was there was there's four of us. Kopecky. Uh, we're all kind of vying for three spots consistently yeah. every night. Uh, and it was it was hard. It was competition. So there would be times where I would have, you know, 10 points. And I remember on like a 10 or 11 game point streak, I think it was. I think I had 11 game point streak, 11 points in 10 games or something. And then the next game I got, you know, a, a shift into the game, I got benched or two, two shifts in the game. And then I think he put like someone else on the line might've been ladder buff. And then they scored the line I was with, you know? So it was just, and then that plays in my psyche, like, Oh, you know, like I just got sat. Now, now you're on, you're on neither the third or fourth line for the next, you know, week or two until it's your opportunity to get that chance again. So we had the depth and the guys to do that too, which now in Florida, he doesn't have that depth, which it's hard for him to do. Right. Um, but he had a lot of that in Chicago where he had a lot of players he can put into those situations uh, and bring into those spots that could play left or right wing and could be put into spots. And I think that's the biggest thing with Joel is he wants players that can play all three positions because there's going to be times in games where you're going to have to play all three positions. I mean, I played center, right wing and left wing numerous times in all games. So that's that's the biggest thing with him. Some coaches just like guys who play, you know, left wing. Some coaches just like guys who can play left or right wing and can interchange here and there. But Joel really likes versatility in all his players. That kind of reminds me of um, you, you played with Sam Bennett a lot that first, that 16, 17 year. And I think it was one of Sam's better years. I, I can't, we, a, there's a lot of flames fans who kind of look at how Bennett has been utilized in the last little while. And we're kind of frustrated. It's like, just give this guy an opportunity. What does Sam Bennett need to do to kind of, you know, take that next step? I think what you're going to get from Sam is you're going to get a guy who can, again, he's a, he's a, he's not the guy on a line that you're going to build a line around. Right. He's the guy that's going to go up and down the lineup. That's going to create, you know, better play for Monaghan for a five game stretch and Goudreau. And then he's going to create better play for Kachuk through um, and Backlund through a five game stretch. He's that guy who's going to go in and interject energy his game needs to stay at a more consistent level every night. That's why he plays so good in the playoffs. He can keep that energy level up each and every night, which he can't do during the regular season. And it's hard to do. Not many guys can. So you, you got to utilize him when his energy is going and when he's playing well, don't just sit him on the bench, get him out there, get him with top players and let him go. And once his energy drops off, take him off, put him back on the fourth line, let him reset for a week or two and then let him come back again. But yeah, you need to utilize them properly within the game. And that's, again, back to Joel Quenville. He knew when those guys in those situations are going. Cool. Very cool. Just What, what, can, what can you tell us about uh, Joachim Nordstrom? We just <laughs> one, of the, one of the recent signings, I know there's a funny video of you guys singing at the... Yeah, I was going to say you could pull up the video of us singing. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. I was actually excited to see you guys sign him. He, he can add so many elements uh, to your PK and your fourth line that um, you know, a skill element too, an underrated skill element and shot, uh, to a fourth line. So I was excited. Um, 
yeah, and he, he's just a great guy to be around. So I, okay. it's a great signing for for Calgary for the money. Uh, another Swede. Yeah, yeah it uh, is. Are the, are the Swedes that they just seem like they're a fun bunch? You guys are gonna have three crowns on your shoulder patch soon with all the Swedes. <laughs> yeah, no no kidding. Hey, we got a little Sweden in Calgary somewhere. Place yeah. the Alberta with Sweden. And they're all. I played with them all, and all good buddies of mine. You know, oh, I right. Played, you played with Lindholm in Carolina. That's right. Carolina. I played with Markstrom. I played with Nordy and me and Nordy had been traded together in the past so yep. uh they were all on a flight together yesterday all three guys like, <laughs> yeah they all end up on the same we team. saw that on the instagram it's gonna be yeah i saw cool it. um i think my last question for you is just coming back to coaching um just as a fan of the flames i think i mentioned it we're our biggest like we i still like the team we have i love the, the players we have um i'm kind of not really sold 100 on jeff ward I don't know if you know much about him or if, if you feel like having played with some of these core guys on the flames, um, what kind of style of coach they might need. I don't know if Glenn Galton was a guy, but how much of a, how much of a factor does coaching play? And is this team have the right coach? Yeah. I mean, I, I got to watch that a little closer. I think he's a, he's, he's been a good coach. I didn't like necessarily how guys were used uh, again, back to Johnny and Monty in the playoffs. And then they had to take the brunt of the blame uh, when you're underutilizing guys in positions of their strength. It's not good. I know you might not like how they're playing, but again, you're only going to win with your horses at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. So you have to play your horses in their strengths. And that didn't happen. Uh, he is a good coach and he's going to have time to kind of prove that. And I think I could form a better opinion in another he did a great job with them after Bill. And I think he's better for them um, than what was there prior because he is a little lighter on the guys. It seemed like he wanted them to have more fun. Uh, guys were excited to come to the rink. And that's why you've seen Calgary play a lot harder for him than they did in the first part of the season that last year. Yeah, And it's exciting to see, you know, so I think after you see another year of him, then I can form a better opinion on, on his coaching style and, and what I, I like and don't like about it. But overall, um, I think he is a good coach and he's definitely well-respected by a lot of people and people within hockey. Cool. I've got two just to wrap up here. Firstly, um, go, going back to your red deer rebel days. I mean, I was, you were playing under Brent Sutter. I was just looking at your, uh, your stat line. Cause I was like a teenager. Then I remember going to some rebels games and watching you play, but I don't remember you having a hundred, you had 103 pims that year in like 57 games. Yeah, there was, yeah, I mean, a couple <laughs> fights. I think you can pull up one fight. There's like a line brawl. Um, not like, not like fighting tough guys or anything, but there was, I mean, it was in those days, not so much those days, but a couple years prior to that. Yeah. My 2002, three year, I think it is, or three, four, three, four, sorry, when I started. Um, I mean, I played with DJ King on one wing and I played with Derek Parker on the other. And I mean, there was line brawls every other game. Yeah, literally. So even if you were in a line brawl and you were kind of fighting, they just gave you five minutes and you wouldn't even really be fighting because you're basically just holding on, you know, um, it, it was, it was crazy. I mean, when I came in the league, I was five, seven, 145 pounds. And these guys were full on killers, right? Yeah. Like you had DJ King who's six, five, two thirty, and I'm, I'm a child right and i don't have hair on my face and so um there are a lot different days then and, and again players like myself uh, young kids now 16 17 year olds they come in they play first line in junior 
they're given the opportunity back then you played fourth line or you're out of the lineup and you had to, you had to hit and you had to get really uncomfortable in order to get in the lineup and fight and practice, you know, fight for your job, fight for your playing time. And, uh, at my size, it was, it was intimidating, but then going a few years later. So after 2004 or five, the NHL had the lockout and they kind of shifted the rules and that's where the game started to change. And that was my 19 year old year. Uh, 2005 six and that's where the the game you lost the red line because in my first few years you're playing two line passes right the, the red line was still in uh hooking was still in all that was still in and then after that you know hooking got brought out and the red line got brought out again slashing and cross checking and fighting was still there so that part was still in the game in 2006 but you started to lose a lot of the bigger tougher guys as a whole there was usually you had like four or five on a team by then it was about one or two. Yeah. So yeah, again, I just think it was a lot of line brawls, a lot of dumb penalties. Cause I was sticking up for myself. Um, I would just swing my stick at someone's back or legs as hard as I could, it, you know, I didn't care. Um, that's, that's just the way I thought. I was like, if this guy's going to try to like literally kill me and, and decapitate me, I'm going to swing at him as hard as I can. And if I cross check him anywhere, it didn't matter it was my self-defense. So I took a lot of dumb penalties and I'm sure Brent was angry at me a lot. Um, but that's just, that's just kind of the time it was. And it was a lot of fun, but there were a lot of penalty minutes. And I think even my Rockford ice hogs year, I, I had the penalty minute, you know, record. 174. Yeah. Yeah. It was the record for almost eight or nine years. I think it was. That's insane. And I mean, also 49 points. So like, yeah. One- almost point game. per game yeah and so that again that year i knew i wasn't kane and taze just got brought in and i right. knew i wasn't and and havlat was there at that time not hosi yet and and shark was there so i knew i wasn't going to make it as purely a skill guy so i remember i think i got 10 or 11 12 fights that year and i used to fight without a um a tie down down mm-hmm. so i usually get 10 right. minutes too you carried so, that over uh, with the flames right. eh? yeah that. So yeah, and then it happened with the flames, but yeah. it, I remember I would just let it go off and I would take my 20 minutes because I'd usually jump a guy at the end of the game, take my 20 minutes of penalties and carry on. So, <laughs> okay. So that's a good place to end. What, what, why are you fighting Pavel Buchnevich with no tie down against the Rangers? What's going on there? I honestly didn't even know it was Pavel Buchnevich. <laughs> uh, I just remember I got slashed off the face off and then i was backing up to the blue line and i got cross-checked like two or three times in the back i actually thought it was mark stall i think oh, at okay. the time yeah um and it might have been because mark stall was on the bench chirping me i don't know what was going on and then i just turned around and slashed him and i threw my gloves down and yeah it was pavel buchnevich i should have never done that but, <laughs> um but he yeah my stuff came all off and give i remember nice seeing off i'm like i'm gonna give the queen wave i'm gonna do it <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. Thankfully, I did because it was my last time ever at MSG. So. Oh, that's right, eh? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, okay, I said last one, last last question, but my last question, I mean, you do have such an interesting and storied career from a kid from Lethbridge drafted in the fifth round. I mean, I've heard you say, like, you were working at Sportcheck, playing for the Red Deer Rebels, and then all of a sudden you're playing with the Blackhawks, your first game in Calgary – you're playing in the playoffs. You go to the West final, you go to the Stanley cup final and win the Stanley cup. Yeah. What do you like? Just maybe just one last word, just on looking back at your career. I mean, again, like I, a kid from Lethbridge, you bring the Stanley cup home to Lethbridge, play street hockey. It's just a really cool story. Really cool career. What's kind of like your just little reflection on your career as a whole. 
Yeah, I think everyone sees where I'm at now. And unless you really get a read back, you don't really realize where I was then. Yeah. And when I look back, it it is insane what happened within a four year period from again, you're yeah. right. I was working at hard, you know, I was working selling hard goods at Sport Check, um, trying to make enough commission to go buy beer, you know what I mean? And and put gas in my car. Mm-hmm. Um, my and then all of a sudden within two years you know, I'm playing in Calgary at the Saddle Dome, you know, and I was never, and I, I took a, a super small deal in the NHL um, just to get a chance in Boston. And then I'm playing my first ever game at the Saddle Dome in front of friends and family uh, two years later. And then, you know, three years later, I'm playing against Calgary in the Stanley Cup playoffs, like my first ever season. I'm up for rookie of the year where no one even knew my name before that. And made the all rookie team. And then within another year, I win the Stanley cup. So it was, and I signed a, a big contract where, you know, I never had, I didn't have a, I didn't have a pot to piss in, you know what I mean? Uh, didn't, you know, didn't have money growing up. We didn't have any, you know, nothing of that sort. So those four years, I look at it and I still look back at uh, how I was like acting at that time in the sense, like what the hell's going on. And even like kind of sometimes laying in bed, looking at the roof, like this can't be real. Like when, when am I going to wake up? So um, it was, and then to where I am today where people, you know, now you're, you're getting paid to give your opinion to an extent, you know, you're with Sportsnet and NHL and XM. And so it's funny how, where you think you're at, you might not be at in a certain amount of time. So just kind of stick with what you're doing and, and things could turn out well. Cool, cool, man. Well, we appreciate you doing this. Uh, you were great on Battle of the Blades. Jesus, you're a hell of a figure skater. Yeah, that was um, dangerous for yeah, everyone. I mean, did you do any Fergie songs on that? I was surprised. I, I watched a few of them, and they were mostly country songs. Where was the yeah, Fergie action? They wouldn't let you. You're not allowed to pick a song anywhere. What? Uh, it was within the last five years you had to pick a song. Lame. I know. I know. <laughs> so it was really hard to do certain weeks. You had to pick certain weeks based off a five-year period because they wanted it to be, um, you know, you know, for the younger viewers yeah. too. They wanted the songs to be there for for them, which is yeah, you know, I understand if you're having it there. So yeah, I wasn't allowed to pick. And I mean, I had Prince "Purple Rain" picked out. I had "Journey" faithfully. I had "Fergalicious." I had a lot picked out, but couldn't get used. Nice. Cool, man. Well, um, I was, I, I know you and Devin Setaguchi run your, uh, your camp out of, uh, uh, first set camp. I, um, are you, I, I, that's an awesome. That's so cool for you guys to do that for, for young kids in Alberta. So that's awesome. And then you're on sports night or you're on Sirius and, uh, NHL network, is it, or sports night? Sirius uh, XM NHL network. And I yeah. do sports net radio. Uh, I do it with actually once a week with Rhett and Boomer on Wednesday morning. Yeah, right. And then I do the odd hit kind of right now throughout the country, whether it be out West or out East, uh, just talking hockey. Cool, man. I appreciate your analysis. I hate to give Kevin BX a, a compliment, but I mean, guys like you and him present the analysis in a really insightful and cool way. So that's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. He's great. I'd love to get on there with him and go and just go back and forth. And we bicker. need it. We need yeah, it. We need like an awesome. NBA, we need an NBA on TNT type NHL thing happening <laughs> like so bad. If they want me to go at it with Kevin, we will for sure. He's, Hells, yeah. he's a great guy and he's he's a smart dude, really smart dude. But yeah, you're right, I, he, he portrays an opinion very well. 
Yeah, sweet. All right. Well, cool. thank you so much, Chris. This is really a pleasure. You're yep. a fan favorite for me. I've always loved watching you, so I really appreciate sure. you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. All right, Have take care. Good. Yep. All right, huge thanks to Chris for Stieg. That was awesome. And his wife for helping him with the Zoom. That was fantastic. That was awesome. Uh, if you don't follow Chris on Instagram, he's great on Instagram. He does a lot of cool stuff. It's Stiegalicious. You know, Fergalicious or whatever. It's Stiegalicious. He's, he's a great guy. Love chatting with him. We're going to hear a quick word from this week's sponsor. And then we'll have a quick little discussion afterwards. My name is Brad Lieb. I am a former professional hockey player, and this is the Life After Hockey podcast. This is the place where I'll be interviewing former players and exploring their life after hockey journeys, including their successes, challenges, and the causes that they are passionate about. So please join me on the Hockey Podcast Network every Saturday for new episodes and follow me on Twitter at Brad M. Lieb for all my podcast updates. And until then, keep going and enjoy your life. Okay, there you have it, Christopher Stieg. Um, honestly, we've had some great guests on our show. I think that's, he's my favorite. He's my favorite. He's like my favorite player get. Like, is he not one of the most interesting guys the NHL has ever produced? The, the league needs oh, more guys just like look him. at, even just look at his you know, his stats on hockey DB, like the guy, his career, like he did it all. Oh, to- okay. So nominated for the Calder, two Stanley cups, 11 years in the NHL, like played with the greatest player in the, you know, the, in the last 10 years, like Patrick Kane, so much good stuff. And I mean, like, <laughs> it was funny. He said, I, I, he was talking about uh, making the Oilers that year. And he's like, I'm better than half their team. I was like, shit, you're still better than yeah. half their team. It's true. Like, I bet if not for – well, not I bet. If he wasn't so bogged down by injuries, he'd be still in the NHL having an impact. The guys like that who have so much skill, yeah. like, they would have been – yeah, they would have been so good. Yeah. That's something – you know, if we have more time, the thing is when you get these guests on, like, you, you, you don't – it would be awesome if you could just sit down for five hours. Yeah. But, um, you know – I wonder how his health is today. Like if he could play like, and he had a lot of injuries, man. We didn't get a time to go into it, Yeah, but well, he dealt, he dealt with a lot. Yeah. Especially that hip injury with the flames that last year, like yeah, that really fucked him up for sure. And again, that's what was so frustrating about those two, those two years of those teams. Like, and I think I was even going on about this uh, last episode about how the potential of that 17, 18 team, both of those teams those years were, were like, I think on paper and like skill wise, the two best teams Bradshaw Living has ever put together. Like, again, the third line, like Sam Bennett between Versteeg and Brower. Did we still have Hoodler? No, no, no Hoodler had Hoodler left. was gone. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, your top two lines were uh, Johnny Gaudreau. I, I, I don't know why they never tried Versteeg with Monahan and Gaudreau very much because he was so good with them on the power play. Well, because he wasn't a fourth line plug, right? And, and apparently, and, that apparently that's. I don't get, I don't know what it is with, with these coaches where it's yeah. just like, yeah, well, who's the biggest plug on the team? Okay. Let's put him on the top. Well, line. And like he mentioned Gullitson's inability to make adjustments, like fucking chase on. Well, that's what <laughs> we've been saying. The whole is... goddamn year on Gaudreau's wing. Yeah. It's like Versteeg was right there. But yeah. I mean, like those teams are good. Like Johnny Monty were great. You had the 3M line rolling with Froelich, Backlund, Kachuk just entering the league. 
And then like your third line, if you have a guy like Chris Versteek playing on your third line, like we were just talking about how stacked the Blackhawks teams were. And I mean, for me, like when this team was first getting started, I was like, that was the comparison. It was like, you've got a guy like Gaudreau and Monaghan or like Kane and Taves, right? It's like, maybe we can follow this similar progression that the Blackhawks did, this young, exciting team that's really fun to watch. And I think it kind of fell apart in those two years where I was like, there was so much potential there and it never really happened. Yeah. What I, what I really, the biggest thing I kind of got out of talking with for Steak, the, the experience he has with Johnny Monty, right? Like he's talking about his time on the power play and, and just kind of his role that he played his experience. He has is so visceral, right? From a, from a fan standpoint, you get to watch them on TV, but he's in the locker room with them. He knows these guys on a personal, deeply personal level. Um, it, it, it's cool to get that inside feel into who these guys are and just how good they are, especially Johnny Gaudreau, yeah, right? Exactly. He, he alluded to it, just the skill level that both these guys have, even saying how Monahan doesn't get enough, get enough praise. Um, it, it, I don't know. It kind of put me in a place of like, really looking at who do we have on this team? And yeah. now with Kachuk coming in, like we have some really cool core pieces. I also thought it was interesting what his answer, right? I asked him straight up, what does this team, team mean to make a difference in the playoffs? And he said Markstrom. So yeah, that's just put me in. Like I, you know, I've been pretty critical of them, not critical, but like, I'm not super sold on that's exactly what the team's needs, but that was yeah. a really interesting answer. So coming from a guy that obviously knows what it takes to win. Yeah. Right. He did it twice in Chicago. And I mean, look, look, you're, we're not going to get, we're not going to get a roster like Chicago had. Like yeah. that's, that's once every 30 years, a team, just all the pieces fall together and you get that. Dude, having but, even just Taves and Kane, let alone the other guys they had on that team during the, specifically 2010, like that's a one in a million. Yeah, but it does make you think. Like, if you go back to um, when we got punked by Colorado in in eighteen nineteen, what if you if there was a way you could get Mark Stone? Yeah, would that not put you into a like a? I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like the conversation we had today it really puts things into a different perspective for me in sense of um, maybe I trust a little more in ward maybe i trust a little more in tree living just to see um because i think where we're at like we think the team is we're close yeah we're close to competing um and i don't know maybe maybe we'll get there this year i don't know yeah and it's kind of interesting like again like we we complain about this locks like what else do we have to do we're fans but it's like compare that to what what the oilers have built right like Again, I think maybe that's why we get so frustrated is that they are so goddamn close. Yep. There's so many good pieces here. It's just if you could make that one move and maybe, like Chris said, maybe Markstrom is that move. But I mean... I still think you need another one or two pieces. Yeah, but too. But it's been an interesting offseason, right, with Levo. The whole concept... Listen, if you listen to us, you know that <laughs> we are pretty hell-bent on you, the top six guy, but... I think just even in the conversation today, I'm willing to see if this whole premise of like, okay, we need to be hard to play against. We need to be focused on defense, blah, 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 blah. Bringing in Tanev, letting go of Brody. I'm open. I'm at a place where I'm open. Christopher Stieg opened you up, eh? He opened me up. (laughs) (laughs) And I think across the board though, 
Uh, it's safe to say that whenever we have a guest on, it's very humbling for us. And it makes us reflect on how big of an asshole we are. <laughs> totally. Like every time. <laughs> I mean, I think when we talk to, um, when we talk to Kelly Rudy, like anybody we talk to is always like, I'm just like, fuck, I'm such a dick. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm always crushing think... players and always yeah. crushing Bradtree living and like just absolutely annihilating all these guys. Jeff and then Ward. These guys, yeah. Jeff Ward. And these guys who <laughs> played in the league come and talk to us. And I'm like, God, I'm such a little dick. I'm just like sitting here in my house in like small town, Alberta. I think I'm the shit. And I get put in my place by people who actually know. I think we better have more guests on it. Eh? Yeah. Just totally. so we, I think just so we become better human beings. Every other week we need to have somebody way nicer than us on. Yeah. yeah. All right. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we love having guests on. We should probably work on getting some more on. Um, but it sounds like the season is going to start soon. Friedman is reporting that – what's the date? January. Uh, I think, like, they're targeting January 13th. He said that in his blog, uh, Elliot Friedman's blog, which was posted yeah, like, late blog, last right? – Yeah, it was, like, late last night. Yeah, late last night. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. It's. I think things are – I think things are a go pending a few minor details. It sounds like it's a go, which is like, thank God I need hockey back so bad.